Hit it. This ain't no disco. Ain't no country club either. This is LA. All I want to do is have a little fun before I die. This is the man next to me out of nowhere. It's apropos nothing. Says his name William. I'm sure it's Bill or Billy or Mac or Buddy. And he's plain ugly to me. And I wonder if he's ever had a day of fun in his whole life. We are drinking beer at noon on Tuesday. The bar in the face is a giant car wash. And the good people in the world are washing their cars on their lunch break. Hosing and scrubbing as best they can in skirts and suits. Shiny Dotsons and Buicks. Back to the phone company and the record store, too. Well, they're nothing like Billy and me. All I wanna do is have some fun.
can't believe you sang that for the offertory. <laughs> Who authorized that? <sighs> yeah, I did. That, that was Cheryl Crow, by the way, and Ryan McCarthy. Um, yeah, I did because, you know, I, I used to live kind of near Santa Monica Boulevard. And for years now, I'll just drive in my truck, listen to that song, and fantasize about joining William and Cheryl down at the bar on Santa Monica Boulevard across from the car wash. I mean, I can just, I can just picture it because I, I just love to go there and just be with them, you know? Unless, of course, they knew what I did for a living. And if that was the case, it would wreck it. It would wreck it for them, and it would definitely wreck it for me. You know, Scripture says that Jesus uh, was accused of being a, a glutton and a drunkard, a, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And, and, and I'm pretty darn sure that he wasn't a glutton nor a drunkard, but he really did love parties. And he really was a friend to sinners. Sinless and yet a friend to sinners. How do you do that? Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would cause us to preach Jesus, your word. Like a breath that would flow out from my lips and into our ears and out from others' lips, that, Lord, everything would uh, be Jesus. You would be our communication this morning. Help us to preach, Father, in Jesus' name, through the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. I had dinner with the Archbishop Desmond Tutu. You heard of him, right? Winner of the Nobel Peace Prize 1984, Archbishop of Cape Town, primate of the church in South Africa. I had dinner with Desmond Tutu at my house. I sat next to him. I did. I partied with Desmond Tutu. And I don't even remember it. One day, watching TV or something, uh, Desmond Tutu was mentioned on the news or something. And my mom says, oh, he was such a sweet man. And I looked at her and said, Mom, what are you talking about? You act like you know him. And she said, well, of course. He came to, house and to, he came to dinner at our house, and, and Peter, you sat next to him. Well, you see, my dad was a pastor. He was always bringing home somebody from Africa or Asia or somewhere like that. And I, and I guess he brought home uh, Desmond, Desmond Tutu. And that's like a really big deal to sit next to him and eat dinner with him. And so I tried to remember that. I tried and I tried and I, I tried to remember. And, and, and I couldn't remember. I couldn't remember that day, even though I tried to remember that day. Well, sometime later, we were talking about it. And my mom said, oh, come on, Peter. You remember that day. That was the day that Ladybug had her puppies. And all of a sudden, I remembered that day. You see, Ladybug was our wiener dog. And, and, I, and I really did. I remembered that day. I remembered everything about Ladybug and the puppies and nothing about the Archbishop Desmond Tutu. Nothing against wiener dogs. I mean, they're fine. But you see, I miss Desmond Tutu thinking about my wiener dog. 
I was invited to the banquet, but missed the meal. I had no appetite for what was being served, and, and, and so I missed the party, even though the party was at hand all around me. I think it's ironic that most folks think the mission of the church is like to help people avoid parties. When scripture is absolutely packed with parties. So I've told you there's something like 80 days of commanded feasting per year in the Old Testament. I counted them. 80 days of commanded feasting and one day of commanded fasting. One day. Every Sabbath was to be a feast, a party that anticipated God's rest that day, the seventh day, the, the kingdom of God. In Deuteronomy 14, God commands all Israel to take an offering, one-tenth of their annual income each year, and uh, to use it to throw a, a party in the place that he would show them, which turned out to be uh, Jerusalem, I believe, a party uh, with, quote, strong drink. Whatever your appetite craves, unquote, party. You see, maybe that was like a, a perfect offertory, at least for Deuteronomy 14. All I want to do is have a little fun before I die, says the man sitting next to me out of nowhere. Well, God seems to want us to have a lot of fun, both now and long after we die. All Israel knew God was about parties. And all these parties were in anticipation of a great party, the Messianic banquet. Isaiah 25, verse 6. On this mountain, Mount, Mount Zion, I think, Jerusalem, the, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined, and he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples. The veil that is spread over all nations. You see, a veil blinds all nations to this banquet. Like the flaming sword barred the way to the tree of life. In the temple on Mount Zion, the worshipers were commanded to feast before the inner sanctuary and the veil which separated the people from the glory of God. A priest might pass through the veil, but only after the proper ritual, only on the day of atonement, and only if he wasn't blemished, crippled, blind, lame, disfigured. Well, Isaiah continues. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord we have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. So where will this party be? At the sanctuary. When will this party be? That day, that day the people say, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. At the sanctuary, when they see his salvation and rejoice in his salvation. In Luke 14, Jesus goes to a party at the house of one of the rulers of 
the Pharisees. Next week, we're going to have a party. And I really want you to invite people to come to the party, especially people that can't pay and cannot repay. Jesus even tells you to invite them. You want practical application points? There's one for you. He tells you to invite them and to pay for their lunch. Luke 14, we're, we're taking a two-week break from the Gospel of John to preach on the party and how-to, how-to party, Luke chapter 14. It's really a story within a story, and we're going to start and work our way from the inside out this week and next. In Luke 14, Jesus goes to this party and to the Pharisee's house, and first thing he does is he heals a man with dropsy. I understand that's uh, normally referred to as edema nowadays. And so this man was probably a bit disfigured, plain ugly to me and lame. He was hanging around the edge of the party. Well, the religious leaders are obviously offended by this man's presence. And even more, they are offended by Jesus' kindness to this man. So Jesus sends the man home, and, and then these religious leaders, they start competing for places of honor at the banquet, exalting themselves. And Jesus says, when you throw a party, invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. In other words, invite people like the guy with dropsy that we just sent home. Invite people like William down on Santa Monica Boulevard that's never had a day of fun in his whole life. Invite people who can't repay you and you will be blessed. If, happy, if they can't repay you. Then it's a banquet of grace. Well, obviously, uncomfortable and trying to sound all religious, one of the Pharisees pontificates a bit. Uh, well, well, right, Jesus. Blessed is he, happy is he who will eat Bread in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. And Jesus says, I, I need to tell you a story. It's a story within the story. Verse 16, Jesus said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them or test them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife, a wife, and therefore I, I can't come. Another said, sorry, my wiener dog just had puppies. The servant gets nothing but excuses from people who have already said that they would come to the banquet. Because you see, in that day, when a host gave a banquet, he'd send out an invitation in advance. Based on the response, he would slaughter the appropriate animals. Some chickens, a calf, perhaps a lamb. The morning of the feast, he'd prepare the meal. When it was ready, he'd send his servant out into the village to all those that, that, were, that were invited and said they were coming, saying, come, for all is now ready. This servant says, come, all is now ready. It is finished. And they make excuses. Lame excuses. Lies. 
Nobody inspects a field after they bought the field. Nobody tests oxen that they already own. So what if you married a wife? Most of us did. Bring her along. Ironically, these guests must be mentally crippled, even blind, to turn down such an incredible banquet. And all their excuses are lame. Truth is, they don't want to go to the banquet. They do not have an appetite for what's being served. Check it out. These Pharisees are sitting at at a banquet, right? On the Sabbath, the seventh day, with the Messiah, who's just miraculously healed a man. They say they've received the invitation to the Messianic banquet. That is, they believe the law and the prophets, but now the servant of God is with them and they won't come. They won't eat. And so this Pharisee blurts out, well, happy are those that will eat bread in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. Jesus is the king. He's already preached the kingdom of God is at hand. And Jesus tells us he is the bread of life. I am the bread of life, he says. They're at a party, you see, and they won't party. They're at the banquet and they just won't eat. The truth is they have no appetite for what's being served. Well, who does? Who does? Jesus continues. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly, go to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Well, the poor, crippled, blind, and lame, they might have an appetite for the banquet. At least the poor, crippled, blind, and lame that, that admit that they are poor, crippled, blind and lame. You see, a Pharisee refuses to admit that he is poor, crippled, blind and lame. A a Pharisee works like crazy to convince himself and his world that he has no deficiencies, that he's not empty, he's already full, that he's already righteous. But now if you think that you are righteous, You cannot hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed, happy is he who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, said Jesus. You see, the law points out our emptiness. It amplifies our appetite for righteousness. But a Pharisee feeds on law to convince himself that he's already full, and so he has no appetite for grace, the righteousness that is God. Jesus continues. And the servant said, sir, what what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who are invited shall taste my banquet. None of them shall taste my banquet ever, we ask. Well, the prophets prophesy that one day Jerusalem and Israel will be humbled by a great sign and come to the banquet. But now, these leaders of Israel cannot and will not taste the banquet. 
And so the master says, go to the highways and the hedges. The hedges, that's where you would find like thieves and sinners and women caught in the act of adultery, like we talked about last week. The highways where you'd find Romans and Gentiles, highways like Santa Monica Boulevard. The servant will go there and compel them to come in. This banquet is so good. This banquet is so free that you see it's just like unbelievable. And so the servant will compel them to believe. Jesus is the servant. And he compels us to believe by offering his very self upon the tree. He is the bread of life and the banquet of grace prepared by God on Mount Zion. He's the Passover feast. He's the Sabbath feast. He is every feast that is any feast. He's the life, the life of the party. He is what's for dinner. Body broken, blood shed. The Pharisee said, happy is he who eats bread in the kingdom of God. And yet he wouldn't eat bread in the kingdom of God. Because he was already full of himself. <laughs> Pride. So, number one, he couldn't or would not see the bread that is Jesus. And number two, he couldn't see the broken bread that took the form of that disfigured and lame man whom Jesus healed. The Pharisee is alone in a dark world of his own construction. Have you ever contemplated the fact that there is literally a world inside of every person you meet? just like there is a world inside of you. I mean, when I was a kid, I used to lie under the stars and go, God, is it like this inside of everybody? A world? Nothing tangible is as utterly fascinating as another person. And so in our spare time, what do we do? We watch TV shows about persons. We read books about Persons. We talk to each other about persons. And yet we're all rather terrified to get too close to persons. Just like the priests were terrified to go behind the veil that covered the sanctuary and the holy place and the life of the party. You know, according to Scripture, a living person is like a, a bag of dust that contains a breath from our holy God, a spirit. And John tells us that Christ is, is the word of God. You know, word rides on, on, on breath. And, and Christ is the light that enlightens all men, all men. In Galatians 1, Paul writes that when it pleased God, he revealed his son in Paul. Like Christ had been hiding in Paul, murdering Paul. That angry old Pharisee had been hiding there all along. Certainly God baptizes us and fills us with his Holy Spirit at a point in time, and yet that breath in some form must be there all along. And so each person is like a portal from this world to eternity, from this world to the kingdom, from this world to God. Remember, it's Jesus that will say, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. 
And just you did it not unto one of the least of these, you did it not to me. That's why the second great commandment, love your neighbor, is like the first, love God, because God is somehow in your neighbor, hidden in your neighbor, like treasure in a field or like glory in an earthen vessel. And you see, that would mean, that would mean dinner with anyone is dinner with someone far more fascinating than Desmond Tutu. So, have you been enjoying the party? Dinner with anyone can be the great banquet in some form. You know, Jesus took bread and broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. And St. Paul reveals we are Christ's body. And so, when we're broken, when our arrogance is broken, when our flesh is destroyed, when our earthen vessel of pride is stripped away, perhaps God's glory is most clearly revealed. Perhaps it's easiest to see and, and to experience in someone like William down at the bar on Santa Monica Boulevard, or like in that man with the disfigured man with dropsy that was excluded from the party, or in someone like that disfigured, or that, that girl, that, that prostitute that was, or the adulteress that was thrown at Jesus' feet in, in the dust. Perhaps it's easiest to see in someone like them. Perhaps God's glory is like a capacity for love receiving and giving love, and God is love. And you see, that disfigured man was ready for love, a banquet of love. I think Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, you say you want to eat bread in the kingdom, but you just ask the bread to leave. When you ask the lame to leave, you ask me to leave. Soon you will try to make me leave. You will crucify the life of the party because you hate the life of the party. You hate love. You just ask love to leave. You, you, you see, I, I think Jesus really actually and truly, not like an obligation, but like it was his nature, that he really actually and truly enjoyed the disfigured man at the edge of the party. I think Jesus actually really and truly enjoyed the woman caught in the act of adultery. I think Jesus really enjoys William on Santa Monica Boulevard. He, I mean, he likes him. He just wants to be with him. I think Jesus really enjoyed tax collectors and sinners. Hated the sin, but really enjoyed the sinners. How do you do that? I think Jesus really wanted to enjoy the Pharisees, but you see, they didn't want Jesus to enjoy them. Not the real them, not the naked them. They wanted Jesus to enjoy their hard work and good deeds. They, they wanted Jesus to applaud their fig leaf bikinis, their vessels of clay but not the breath of God buried deep inside. And so the Pharisees had no appetite for what was being served, unconditional love. 
relentless grace, no appetite. I think I'm a Pharisee. I mean, at least a whole lot of the time. I am a religious leader. You, you may not think that, but I am. I'm a religious leader. And so often I, I miss the banquet, miss the party. And, I, and so I was wondering, why would I have missed the banquet that day and still do today? Why would I have missed it? Well, I think that I would have wanted to avoid that suffering man because I would have felt like it was my job and responsibility to fix that suffering man. Or to at least offer him some answers to the question, why am I suffering so? I'd be afraid that I couldn't help him. And I'd disappoint him. And he'd reject me. And blame me. And then I'd be hurt by him. And I'd blame him, and I'd want to reject him before he could reject me, saying stuff like, well, if you weren't healed, I prayed. Obviously, you didn't have enough faith. If your life is so difficult, obviously, you aren't following God's plan. Whatever the case, I, I wouldn't want to get too close to the man. For I don't think I could bear the sheer weight of his sorrow. <laughs> I mean, I can barely even bear the sheer weight of the world of, of my sorrow. I can't bear the world of sorrow, joy. I can't bear uh, the, the world and, and, the, and the weight of joy uh, and glory that is another person. I mean, it's overwhelming. Do you know what I mean? You get close to a person and it's overwhelming. I get close and I lose control. See, what I mean is I can turn off the TV I can put the dog outside. I can control my possessions, my car, my house, my bike. But a person, oh, I get sucked into their world. And then usually I let them judge me, define me, crucify me. People mean pain. Maybe that's why people drink alcohol at parties, to mediate all the relationships, to numb the pain which love requires. You see, I wouldn't enjoy that man at the banquet because I'd feel like my job was to judge him, save him, and redeem him. Pharisees think that's their job. And because I'm awfully insecure, I'd probably also let him try to judge me, save me, and redeem me. We see this Pharisee thinks it's his job to fix everybody and to save his society. I think a lot of us Christians think it's our job to fix everybody and to save our society, to save America. And maybe that's why the church in America is known more for party poopers than party planners. Do you understand how absolutely liberating it is to really believe that Jesus is the judge, the savior, and the redeemer of the world? 
the judge, the savior, the redeemer. Well, then what does that make you? His witness. You testify. But every time you judge, don't you testify that he is not the judge? Every time you're all anxious about saving somebody, don't you testify that he is not the savior? Every time you are driven in fear to redeem everyone around you, don't you testify that he is not the redeemer? We see anyway, this Pharisee didn't, he didn't taste the Redeemer. He didn't taste grace, so he couldn't testify to grace. He didn't taste grace, so he couldn't trust grace, which meant he had to trust his works, which turned him into a party pooper. This Pharisee couldn't see the Savior, so he wouldn't trust the Savior, which meant he had to be the Savior, which made him a party pooper. But you know, when I trust grace for me, when I, re- I mean, when I really trust grace for me, I begin to trust it for you. I begin to trust it for others. I'm not the judge, savior, and redeemer of them, and they're not the judge, savior, and redeemer of me. Jesus is. So what does that mean? It means that Jesus mediates my relationship with God, but Jesus also mediates my relationship with everyone else in this world. So I can constantly forgive. (laughs) Literally, that means release. I can release them of their sin against me, trying to be God for me. And I can release me of my sin against them, trying to be God for them. I can acknowledge the dirt. I even expect the dirt. But I can forgive the dirt and celebrate the breath. God, deep inside, I can party. (laughs) You know Jesus was a walking party? He was. Because he knew the dirt was forgiven. He is the Lamb of God that takes it away. Recently, at one of our board meetings, my friend said something that was hugely encouraging to me. This is, he was here last night. This is a paraphrase. So I'm, I'm not saying it's exactly, he said something like this. He said, I think our church is called to proclaim the message of unlimited grace, that God really loves everybody, that Jesus really did die for the sins of the world. But I'm telling you, I, I, I'm excited because of what it means to me. And this is what it means to me. For the first time in my adult life, I enjoy parties. I mean, I can just go to a party and enjoy everyone. You see, I used to go to parties thinking that I had to judge them, figure out who was saved, who wasn't saved, who was sinning, who wasn't sinning. I used to go to parties thinking that I had to save them, make sure that they understood the plan of salvation because I had to explain them to them, go to parties making sure, thinking that I had to redeem them, that I had to make their life work for them. I hated parties. And now I love parties. Because I go and just enjoy people. You know, love people. 
Well, guess what? If you love, you fulfill the whole law. And if you love people, you testify to grace. You bear witness that there is a God and that he loves them and that there is a party and that they are invited. See, God gives you the privilege of announcing the great banquet. The gospel is not a business deal. The gospel is not a limited time offer. The gospel is not an argument. It's not even a plan. The gospel is a proclamation. Literally good news that is proclaimed, that is preached. It is finished. Dinner is ready. The banquet is served. Come to the feast. In the words of Isaiah, behold, look, this is our God. We have waited for him that he would save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Time to eat. Your life is to be that proclamation. And sometimes your word is to be that very word, the word that Jesus spoke to the adulteress, neither do I condemn you. The word that Jesus spoke to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you. The word that Jesus spoke from the cross, Father, forgive them, it is finished. It's the gospel, good news, God saves, Jesus, the banquet of grace, that word, that word, Jesus, that word, check this out, is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. So you do not judge, save, and redeem. However, that word does judge, save, and redeem. Speak that word. Even better, be its very incarnation, like, 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 like its body, his body, even his body broken even his bread broken in the service of love. So what the rip am I saying? <laughs> well, it makes me think of this scene in a movie, okay? It's a chick flick, so i just got to get that out in the open. But the movie's called Chocolat. It's about a small French town run by a very religious mayor, the Comte de Renault. He controls the church literally writes the sermons for the priest, and he controls the town by controlling that priest, but he can't control his bride. That's the way it usually is. Can't control her. She's left him, but he won't admit it. He hides his shame. Clinging to his honor and his town's honor, he thinks he has to save himself and save everybody else. He's a Pharisee. It's Lent, and under his direction, everyone in town is fasting until Easter. You know that one day of commanded fasting that I mentioned earlier in the sermon? That one day was the day of atonement. Isn't that amazing? I think we now call it the Lord's Supper. <laughs> or the, the Feast of Easter. Well, anyway, in this little French town, everyone is fasting till Easter. But then a woman comes to town and sets up a chocolate shop. That's, that's a problem when you're fasting. 
Even, she even plans a chocolate banquet for Easter Sunday. The, he, the mayor is just furious and he, and he will not join the party. He tries to shut the chocolate shop down. When, when he's lost his battle, lost his marriage, lost control, lost his honor, the night before Easter he goes to the church, falls before the crucifix, begging, asking, pleading, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? All my efforts have been for nothing. I've suffered willingly. I've fasted. I've hardly eaten for weeks now. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry, my, my suffering is nothing. It's just I, I feel so lost. I don't know what to do. Tell me what to do. So he cries himself to sleep in the chocolate shop window and wakes up a new man on Easter morning. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance, says scripture. You see, it's the feast of grace that judges us, saves us, and redeems us so we can join the party. He wakes up on Easter morning and joins the party.
even the Comte de Renault felt strangely released. And so this world, ever since that flaming sword was placed at the edge of the garden, is a fast in preparation for a feast. And yet the feast is now. For on the night that Jesus was delivered up, he took the bread and he broke it, saying, This is my body given to you. Take and eat. This is what you're hungry for. In the same manner, he took the cup, saying, This is the new covenant in my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you. Do it in remembrance of me. And you know the story. The Pharisees did not like what was being served. And so that very night they came for him. They took him and they cut him up. Scripture says that his flesh is the veil. The veil that covers the nations of this earth the veil that covers the sanctuary, the veil that is ripped to expose the glory and the grace of God, the life of the party. They cut him up, crucified him on the mountain, and you see, that's the banquet that judges us, saves us, redeems us, and releases us unto the party. To feast on this is to fast from yourself and your own dark little self-centered world. What do you want me to do? Just tell me what you want me to do. I'm so lost. Tell me what you want me to do. Taste my banquet and join the party. In Jesus' name, believe the gospel and live. And so, Father, we just sang that we delight ourselves at your table. But you know that so often we don't. Because we have a, such a hard time believing that you actually want us to have fun with you in your kingdom forever and ever and ever. And because we don't delight ourselves at your table, God, we go chasing after all kinds of other tables. Lord Jesus, thank you that you came for us, the servant on the hill, broken to call us to the table. And so, Lord Jesus, through your Spirit, help us now to believe the gospel and live the gospel in your name. Amen. Now, if you would, please be seated because I haven't preached long enough. Listen closely. Um, don't leave, okay? Don't leave. 
Okay, this is the same, this is the same chapter, Luke 14, verse right before that. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, like a party, don't invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you get repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, happy, because they cannot pay you. Now, we're going to talk about that more next week. We're not only going to talk about it, we're going to do it. We're going to have a party. And we want you to invite everyone. You can invite your friends and neighbors, okay, even if they're rich. But, 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 but I don't think Jesus meant that. But especially people that can't repay you, that can't repay us. I mean, we'd love you to invite them. And we'll have a pot where you can throw in money for, the, for, for lunch. But a bunch of people have given money for, for this party. But we want to throw a party for people that can't repay us. So we really want you to invite people. And if they ask you, if they ask you, um, is the party an outreach? We'll say, no. Not really. Well, is the party a fundraiser? No, it's not. It's not a fundraiser. Well, is the party like, you know, your fall kickoff or something? No, not really. Well, what's the purpose of the party? The party has no purpose. The party is the purpose. The kingdom of God is a party. Our God, three persons wrapped in love, is a party. And it's fun. 